Hello everyone. I'm actually from this church. I moved to the to Seven Oaks when I was ten. So I've been here since I was ten years old. So some of you oldies know me. <laughs> Put your hand up if you know me. They're, well, they're the oldies. <laughs> In fact, um, Dave and Kate were my youth leaders. That's how old they are. <laughs> and, uh, but because, uh, of, uh, I've, because of the things that I've seen, the things that I've done, it's because of lots of you guys. And I know lots of you have prayed for me since I was a 10-year-old, which is pretty awesome. Thank you so much. You've walked with my family for many years. Um, I was looking at this building just when I came in, and I remember selling, selling off my, my belongings when I was a teenager at school in order to pay for this building. So some of this is mine. <laughs> so if I decide I want to sell it. <laughs> yeah, those lights. <laughs> yeah, great. So um, uh, we are, um, we are a, a mission family, um, but we, want to, we always want to make... make make sure that we state, and Laura did it there, that, that mission is not going to another nation. And mission is, is being who God has called you to be in the place he has called you. Um, and so we can often sort of put uh, the hierarchy of who's the best in the kingdom, which is absolute nonsense. Uh, and if you came and saw our life, you would definitely not think it's the best. Um, so we, you, we, you know, you can get kudos as being the one who travels around, but... Um, uh, we want you to know that where you are right now is where Jesus put you. And he put you there for a reason. Um, and you, your, your, your purpose is to seek him and find him and do what he tells you to do. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So um, I was given uh, uh, the scripture Ephesians 6. So we're going to go there. Ephesians 6, uh, 10 to 13. And so let's just read that through. Finally, um, you know what the rest of it was, the finally, because I think you've done it. Yeah? Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. It's just, I'm just going to read that again. It's good for us to get the scripture into us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Just, let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we invite you 
just to come and reveal Jesus to us this morning. The word says that uh, you testify to who he is. So would you testify to who Jesus is this morning? We want to, we want to go away from here having seen Jesus, having got to know him through the word. Holy Spirit, we know that there is so much more, there's so much we do not understand. So we come in humility before you, sitting with the word before us and we say, show us what you want to do. Speak to each one in this room, there is a different message here for everyone in this room. Holy Spirit, put your finger on us. We don't want to just listen to words. We want our lives to be changed. Just while you're there, just sit there and say, Holy Spirit, change me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, okay. So we've got uh, a fantastic, fantastic passage um, about the devil. Um, so let's start there, which is, he is real. <laughs> Say hallelujah. <laughs> One of the devil's greatest schemes, it talks there about the devil's schemes, is that uh, is, to, is to make you think he doesn't exist. The devil is real. He's alive. If we are reading the word of God, we cannot read the word of God and deny the existence of Satan. We are told very clearly that he is the father of lies and that he seeks to kill and destroy that's who he is. And he has been about that business since the beginning of time. So when we are reading the Word of God, we must look at what it's saying and we must realise that just because our culture has told us one thing, we've got to look at this through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, which is why we're asking the Holy Spirit to open the Word to us. Because the, 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 the culture that we live in tells us there is no... There is no demonic power. There is no Satan. It's all a joke. If you think of Halloween, let's make the devil into a joke. He's not dangerous. It's not a problem. Let, let me just remind you that he is here to kill and destroy you. He will do what he can to tear you apart. That's not the good news. And so... We need to know that we are in a battle against the powers of darkness. And that's what this scripture is really drawing our attention to. It's telling us to stand firm against the devil's schemes. Um, and telling us that this, the battles that we face are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. In, if you can just quickly turn to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, so verse 19, 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Okay? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
So the world is under the control of the evil one. And remember, the evil one is a liar. And so it's only when we know the Son of God that we can come into understanding and we can know what is true. And that is Jesus, Him who is true. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, um, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Who is the God of this age? Yeah, thank you. The whole world is under the control of Satan. He's the God of this age and he's blinding the minds of the unbeliever. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil is at work in anything that is not consistent with the reign of God. So in your life, in this world, anything you see which is not consistent with God being the king of his kingdom, that is under the control of the evil one. Okay? It's quite a good measure when, you're, when we're facing struggles in life. It's quite a good way to be able to say, okay, is this a spiritual battle? Is what I'm fighting against something that is not consistent with the reign of God? We're told here in um, Ephesians chapter 6 there that we are to uh, stand against the devil's schemes. And if we're going to stand against someone's schemes, we've got to know what those schemes are. And so we've got to recognise our enemy. We've got to recognise what he's doing. And that involves knowing the times. We're told that the men of Issachar, they knew the times. They knew what was going on. And so we've got to recognise the schemes of the enemy. We live um, in, in, a, in a place where there are lies that are being preached to us on the airwaves. Okay? The air is full of lies. Remember where they come from. Who's the father of lies? So the air is full. When I say the air, I mean it, it like whatever you're listening to, whatever you're looking at, you, we are looking at the, 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 the work, the schemes of the enemy. And so what are, what are those schemes? Now, for about 200 years or so, people have begun to believe a lie that there was no creation. That it was, it's all an accident. It's all chemicals that came together and miraculous, well, it can't be a miracle, and created something. It's a lie from the enemy, and what, what that means is that for 200 years, our society has begun to believe that there is no higher being, there is no creator. And if there's no creator, that means we have no value. Because a creator creates something because he wants it, he values it. When you make something, you're quite proud of it, or, well, or, or maybe you look at it and you think, oh, maybe try that again. But that's not the case, because we know that when God created man, he said, this is very good. We, were, we are created higher than the animals, higher than the angels even, because we were created in the image of God Almighty. But the world, the, the airwaves are telling us 
There, there is no creator. You are, you're an accident. You're an accident of molecules. And so what that means is we, we, we've got no identity. We don't know who we are. Our life is of no value. Your life is of no value. And therefore we treat each other in, in a valueless monetary system. Because if you've got no value, it doesn't matter what I do to you. If babies have no value, it doesn't matter if we kill them. All of this has come from the devil breathing lies into us as a society. Another lie is that we can be like God. This is the lie that came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. What, what the devil was saying to her was, you, you, he's telling you that you shouldn't do that, but you could decide. You make up your mind what's right and wrong. You've heard that lie? You've heard that in society? Yes? Society says, you decide what's right and wrong. What's right for you? It's good. It's not the same right that's for me. And when you get into conversations with people, they talk in circles. And, and, and you, it's like you're, you can't get hold of anything. You're trying, you're trying to be apologetic. You're trying to do your apologetics and there's nothing to hold on to because it just goes round in this circle of, well, what if it's good for you, it's good for you. If it's good for me, it's good for me. There's no right or wrong. It's a lie from the enemy. That the enemy wants you to wants us to believe that there is no God and therefore there is no truth. There's no absolute truth. You can make up your own truth. The devil said to Eve, "Did God really say that?" And that's what he is putting into the, certainly in the Western world that's been drip fed for many years. Did God really say that you can't do that? Which is why the body of Christ ends up, when, when we start to be influenced by the, the devil's lies, and therefore the culture that's around us, we start to create a theology that means that rather than us changing to his absolute truth, we make our own truth and we shift the theology to fit our truth. But this is not a battle with people. This is an ancient battle that has been going on since the beginning of time. There's nothing new under the sun. I heard someone preaching recently who said, there are things going on in this world right now that the Bible isn't equipped for. The Bible doesn't tell us about those things. And Laura and I nearly fell off our chairs. Well, what? There's nothing new going on here at this moment. We can, we can look uh, as, as Christians, we look at the world, we think that everyone's gone mad. This is nothing new. You can just look through the Bible. People have been struggling with their identity because of the devil's lies for thousands of years. And this, we've got to remember this is not a political struggle. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20, the people of God, they cried out. They came to Samuel and they said, give us a king. 
give us a king. And then God said to Samuel, tell them that if you have a king, this and this and this will happen. You know that, you might not know that story. If you don't, go read it. And what they, what they knew is they needed a king. We all need a king. But we, what, what they needed was the Messiah, the Messianic king. And we all need that king. But they looked at, they looked at the cultures around them and they said, oh, those guys have got kings. We'll have a king. So there's something in the heart that knew they needed to king. They needed someone to lead them and save them. And yet, instead of coming to God, they, went to, they looked at the culture around them and they allowed that culture to tell them how to behave. And so they looked for, to politics to save them. They were putting, ultimately, uh, what we would call a president in place. Someone who controls the, 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 the outcome for, outcomes for the nation. We must not be a people that look at politics as being our saviour. Politics is an idol. Democracy is an idol. If you are looking at the news in the last, let's say, ten years, uh, there's just chaos because of politics. But, and the world is a... Going, they don't know what to do because politics was democracy was their answer. We've been fighting for democracy, but democracy is falling apart. No one can decide on anything. Nothing. Everyone's arguing. I won't even mention Brexit, but that's a good example. Do you, do, do you get what I'm saying? Politics is not going to save any of us. The saviour is the messianic king. The Saviour is Jesus Christ. We have, to, we have to know why we need a Saviour. We need a Saviour because we have sinned. Some of you may not know what sin is. Sin is anything that is rebellious to the heart of God. Sin is putting yourself in the decision-making spot. You don't get to decide what you do. It's Jesus who's the king. He's the one who decides what you do, what is best for you. As I have grown older and wiser, <laughs> I have, I have realised that I have no idea what good is. We say, God is good. And then something bad happens to us. Something, we're going through a trial and a struggle. We say, but if God is good, how can he let this happen? You've heard people say that. You may have said it, I've said it. If God is good, how can this happen? Because I'm not God. I have not been around for as long as he has. I did not create the heavens and the earth. I did not put the stars in their place. I do not in my 44 years get to say that I understand how heaven was made. I don't get to say that I have a monopoly on understanding of life. If I do, I'm proud. We, we have to realise that we have fallen short of the glory of God. 
I have fallen short of His glory. I was born sinful. There is nothing that you or I could do to get ourselves out of this mess. The Israelites tried to get themselves out of the mess, but the mess just getting, kept getting worse and worse and worse. Then they thought, well, let's get a king. He really didn't help. My sin gives Satan the right to rule. When I live in a sinful way, when I am living my own, uh, when I'm living for my own desires, when I'm running after what I want, when I'm putting myself as the king, then I am giving Satan the right to rule. 1 John 3 verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Sin, when we choose our way instead of his way, we're actually standing on the wrong battle lines. There is, there is a battle, we've been told here, that we are struggling. There's a battle against powers and authorities. But if we are, if we are choosing our way, if we're putting ourselves as the king, we are standing on the wrong battle lines. When Jesus came to earth, he humbled himself. We've got to, re we've got to really sit and dwell with this. That the king of kings who created the universe, the king of kings who made you in his image, came, he chose to come to earth to be with his creation. But he didn't, he, he didn't just come, he took on the form of his creation. He humbled himself to be weak like we are, in weakness. Why would he do that? When Jesus, um, when Jesus, just before he began his ministry, you know that the Holy Spirit led him out into the de to the desert, where he was given the opportunity to sin. And you see Satan flaunting his power over the world. The world is mine. I can give you this. And Satan is trying to pull Jesus into sin. Had Jesus sinned at that point, he would have come under the rule of Satan. But Jesus came to push back the kingdom of darkness. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And he did that in everything he did. When Jesus was raising the dead, he was, he was demonstrating his power over death. When he healed the sick, he was demonstrating his power over sickness. Everything that Jesus did while he was on earth was a demonstration of his power over the kingdom of Satan on earth. He came here to liberate us. He came here to give us freedom from the burden of being under the oppression of sin and the devil's rule.
And so, when Jesus died on the cross and forgave our sin, he disarmed, the Bible says he disarmed the devil. Because no longer were, are we a people that stand condemned by Satan because of our sin. No longer do we, we sit under the weight of that, uh, of that death, of the, of the death that sin causes in our life. We are now brought into freedom. We're now, the burden is, lift, is lifted. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The greatest battle that's ever been fought was on the cross. That was the battle. That was what the whole of creation had been leading up to. Was that point. We've got to remember that the cross was not a, a, a second best plan because, uh, because Adam and Eve sinned. The cross was always the plan. Jesus was always going to the cross. Because at that moment... He restored what his rightful rule. He restored us to our rightful place. He restored us into the kingdom of heaven. Just turn to 1 Colossians chapter 2. He forgave us all our sins. That's uh, verse 13, sorry. 1 Colossians 2, 13, I think. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. If you, if you commit a crime, you go to, you go to court. And you, your charges will be given. And it is just and it is right that you are punished for those. God is a God of justice. And he will repay what is owed. He will, we will have to repay what we owe. We will have to face the charges. And yet, when Jesus came, he cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities. That's what it's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's about the powers and authorities. And now we're seeing that Jesus' is, death on the cross has overcome those powers and authorities. And so we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear what everybody else fears. Because... The Lord Almighty is the one who is holy. The Lord Almighty is the one we are to fear. He is the one who will be our sanctuary. I just want to quickly go to um, 2 Chronicles 20, 
uh, chapter 20. This is um, a, a story that I just want to quickly look at in terms of battles that we face. Um, we had a building in South Africa that was prophesied over us and was miraculously given to us. Um, and some years later, after this passage being repeatedly brought um, to us after, uh, through a period of about three months, um, it just kept coming. I don't know if you've ever had that, where you just think, well, what is Jesus trying to say? Why does he keep bringing this to us? We, get the, we got this passage again and again and again. And then um, we had some people trying to take that building from us. Um, and so we, uh, at the moment that we got the news that they were trying to take it from us, well, I knew what it was that we were to do because Jesus had been bringing this to us. Um, I love this story. Um, so we've got a picture of a battle, an actual battle of the people of God with the enemies of God. After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, and with some something Midianites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. I want us to be a people that are prepared for battle. That's what Ephesians uh, chapter 6 is talking about. It's about being ready with the armour of God, equipped to stand firm. So how do we when we face battles of many kinds? You'll notice here that Jehoshaphat was scared. We get scared. Fear comes to us. He was alarmed. It's not, it's not a problem for us to respond in fear. That's a natural part of life. But what did he then do? He resolved in his heart to inquire of the Lord. And for many of us, that's a long way down the road. We sit with the fear. We mull it over. I don't think I, I do this. Your mind is just on it. You can't sleep. You, the fear of what's going to happen, how it's going to turn out. And yet, and it takes me so long to get to the place of saying, oh, hang on, I better inquire of the Lord. There are many stories in the Old Testament where it says they did not inquire of the Lord. Bad stuff always happens at that point. And so let's learn from Jehoshaphat. There's fear, but he, what he does with that fear is he brings it before God. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Why do we fast? We fast to find out what his will is. Sometimes we think we fast in order to uh, strong arm him into doing what we want. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is saying, I value you more than I value food. I want to know you more than I want to know my next meal. I'm going to come before you. Because I want to know what you are doing. Let us be a people that seek him to find out what he wants, rather than seeking him to tell him what we want. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. It's important to notice that they all came together. This was not just Jehoshaphat's fight. And we've got to be a people that are together. We fight together. Each one of us has probably got battles that are going on. And we, we feel like we're on our own in those battles. But actually, we're the body of Christ, are we not? 
And our body only functions properly when every part is doing its part. And so we need to be a people, if we're going to be the church, the church needs to be a people that fight each other's battles together. So when we have battles, we bring them and we fight them together. Because if you are not functioning, then we've lost a part of the body. The body's in pain. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord, in the front of the new courtyard, and he said, The Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God did not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, uh, your friend. Sorry, did you not drive out? We need to, when, when battles begin, we need to come to him on our face and we need to, we need to remember who he is. That's what we, he's, he's saying. Are you not the God of heaven? I know who you are. I know what you have done. Did you not already do this? Remember what the Lord has done. We sit with the problem. We sit with the battle. We sit with this thing we've got no answers for. We don't know what to do with it. And we dwell on it. Instead of shifting that over there and dwelling on who he is. They have lived, they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Notice what Jehoshaphat is doing. He is stating that we're in this situation because of you, God. The dangerous point here is that we say you're in, we're in this situation because of you, God. You did this. It's your fault. And that's the easy place for us to end up when struggles come, when battles come. We're saying, this is not going the way I want it to go. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. There's a very fine line between saying, okay, I accept that I'm in this situation because you put me here. What do I do with it now? To, I'm in this situation because you put me here. You are causing me trouble and you need to fix it quick. Do you understand the, dis the difference? One of them is blaming God. It's not a problem for us to tell him that we're not pleased. It's not a problem for us to wail and to tear our clothes and sprinkle ashes. It's not a problem with, for us. It's in there. Look, it's through the Psalms. It's okay for us to shout and scream and say, what, like, what's going on? I don't understand. The problem comes when we start to say, it's you. You're the problem. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. When pain comes, which it surely will, 
Do we blame God or do we tuck in, pull in? Our God will not judge them, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The reason that we have battles and struggles is because we're sitting with something we don't know what to do. And so we try and work out every option, all the things that we could do, what, is this better than this? But actually, we're showing you, fix our eyes. Fix your eyes upon who he is. You don't have the answers. If you did, you wouldn't be in a problem because you'd have immediately solved it. So you're in the situation you don't have an answer to. So why are we sitting dwelling on that when we know someone who does have the answer? He is king and he is good. We end up blaming God because it doesn't look good. But he is good and he knows what to do. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and, children and little ones stood before the Lord. I just wanted to say there, don't exclude your children from battles. Bring your children along in the battle. They need to see the goodness of the Lord in the day of victory. But you don't know it's victorious if you never saw that there was a problem in the first place. Don't shelter your children from battles that are going on. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Whenever God encounters his people, the first thing he says is, do not be afraid. Easier said than done. Do not be afraid or discouraged because this vast because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, it is God's. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We see everything in the here and now. We see everything in our time frame. This battle, if you're if you're in a battle with family members, you are not you're not in a battle against them. If I'm fed up with Ian, my battle's, if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's a conflict between us, the battle's not against him. The battle's against flesh and blood because the devil wants to divide us. The devil wants to destroy our relationship because in destroying relationship, he isolates us. And when we're isolated, he can mess more with our head than when we're together. Because it's when we're in community that we are able to encourage and build one another up. All division comes from the seed of hell. Because he wants us on our own. He wants you out of this community. He doesn't want you to be with people who care about your future. This battle belongs to God. But that doesn't mean we can just go, oh right, okay. Just not my not my problem. We still have to face the enemy. Because God says, this is not your battle, but tomorrow morning march down against them. 
Like, what, why am I marching down? It's not my battle. You fight it. We still have to go to the battle line. And then God tells them the strategy that the enemy is using. You see that? They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them there. So they have, they have been afraid. They've fasted. They've prayed. They've sought the Lord. They've remembered who he is. And now he is telling them what the enemy's strategy is. Just notice he's not fixing it. It's not an immediate fix, but he's saying, this is what they're about to do. You will not have to fight this battle. When I read that, I noticed the word this. There are some battles we will have to fight. This one, Jehoshaphat was told, stand on the battle line. Others, they, they fought them. They lost people. There's a lot of trust in that statement. Because he's saying, go to the battle line, don't fight. You've got to trust him that you standing there is not going to get you killed. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord, that the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites, the Kohathites, the Korahites, stood up and praised the Lord with a very loud voice. I love that. Because I've got quite a loud voice. It's godly to praise him with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out ahead of the army, singing, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes against the men. Let us be a people of worship. I struggled so many years with many things, trying to perform, trying to build a church, trying to make it look awesome, really for my own glory. Jesus came to me. He said, you don't do this for me, you're doing it for yourself. That was a humbling moment in my life. And then Jesus said to me, I've only ever asked you to do one thing. I said, what is that? He said, worship me. Come to the battle lines and let us worship. Let us be a people who lift our voices with a very loud voice and sing about who he is, how good he is. You all know, you've all been in this place where you've come in with a weight and a burden and you've left feeling refreshed because you have sung Jesus gave us song. He gave us praise. He gave us worship. It is a godly thing. We're told to do it in the Bible more than almost anything else. To sing to the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord. Where we fight our battles on the front line, trusting Him. And as we worship, we're taking our eyes off ourselves 
of our issues, of our pain and our problem and our struggles, they are still there, but we're saying you, you are high above, you are greater, and I trust that you have got this. It's important for us to remember that Jesus still died. When we are, when we, we can come and think, if I worship, then everything will get better. And he can do that in a moment. But he also, he also walks us through pain. Because in our pain, we find him like we've never found him before. He does not look for us to be a comfortable people. He wants us to be a desperate, dependent people. And if you are living for comfort, you will miss the King of Kings. Do not live for your own comfort and pleasure. Live for Him. And wherever He takes you, it will be good, even if it hurts. But if our eyes are fixed and we are worshipping Him, we know that there's a sense of truth that sits in our hearts and I can face anything when I am worshipping Him. So I've slightly run over be good for us. Let us worship him. Dave, can you? There are battles that you're facing. There are battles the church is facing. Let us come before him on our knees as King of Kings. And let us worship him. What I often do is I take my hands like this and I put it in my head like, Jesus, this is it. I'm laying it for you. And now I'm, I'm raising my hands. So I would encourage you to stand up or kneel down, one of the two. And let us just come before you with thanksgiving. Just close your eyes, lift up your hands.